back to another episode of PCLOTR, the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian. I am from Pop Culture Leftovers. I am joined by Jake, also from Pop Culture Leftovers. Hey, what's up? Excited to talk about this one. We've got Joe Stark from the Starkcast podcast. Welcome, Joe. Hey, stoked to be here. And we've got Mr. Billy Blinks from the Reality Guys on YouTube. Welcome, Billy. I am just so surprised that we are already here at the end, but I am excited to talk with you guys one more time. Got a question for you guys before we dive into this episode. And if you haven't watched the episode, we're going to be spoiling it right from the get-go. But I got a question for you guys. Do you like Galbrand or do you like Haladriel? <laughs> Haladriel, definitely. Haladriel. Haladriel? <laughs> Is it if you're shipping them, it's Haladriel. You don't go you don't go with Galbrand, right? No. <laughs> Haladriel's <laughs> is just, I, I like it. it. It sounds better to say. All right. That was my question. I was just curious. <laughs> Galbrand sounds question. like off-brand makeup. Yeah, Galbrand. Galbrand. Couldn't it's afford a- Revlon, so I bought some Galbrand. <laughs> I thought you said Galbrand. It's like the cereal for women. <laughs> <laughs> Are you all constipated up? Then try Galbrand. <laughs> uh, I don't, is, 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 does brand work the same way as fiber? I thought so. I thought it was the same thing. Is it? Yeah, is brand like a high say, fiber? I brand was a fiber. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay. No more constipation <laughs> with Galbrand. <laughs> All right. Ladies are just blowing up some toilets eating some Galbrand. Um, I know. Let's get Jamie Lee Curtis on these commercials. Oh, that's Activia. <laughs> that's Activia. I know she's a name you can trust for shitting. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, so this is the uh, season finale episode, and guys, I don't know about you, I've been looking into season two, it doesn't look like we're going to get it until fall of 2024 is what they're saying. Oh, yeah. dude, that's brutal. So brutal. It's, I'm going to be so old by then. It's like, I'm, it, <laughs> Shut up, world, Billy. Is the world even going to exist then? Billy's like, like just... you're, you're, you're in the twilight of your little 30s. Shut up. Don't even go there. I'm going to be so old by then. What a, kids, what, like, you're talking, oh. me and Jake are the only ones on this podcast that should be eating bran regularly. Like, <laughs> get out of here. I, I hate it when, I hate it when people in their 30s think they're old. You're not old. Enjoy it. Now, You're good to go. 30, 30s were the best the decade. Yeah, it, I'd agree with that, dude. I, I hit, I, I don't know, I hit late 30s and everything started hurting. But 40s, that's when it was like, oh, I slept funny. Now I can't turn my head to check my blind spot in traffic for three days. Mm-hmm. I hate it when I read like uh, something on Facebook and somebody's like talking about a you know sp- a SpongeBob episode that makes them feel old. Get out of here! <laughs> Knock it off! <laughs> Can you believe Jellyfish Party is fifteen years old? Oh my god! <laughs> All right, I do not want to bury the lead here. I, I I think we really need to dive into like one of the biggest reveals of this season that happened on this episode. If you've seen it. You should know. And if you haven't, turn it off, go watch the episode, and then come back. But guys, what have I been saying since episode three? Hal Brand. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, Hal Brand is Sauron. And what did we find out this episode? Hal Brand is definitely Sauron. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's one of those things where even the showrunners were not upset that 
people had been speculating that Charlie Vickers was Halbrand. They basically, I've got the quote somewhere where they talk about it. Let me see if I can yeah. find that quote. I, I remember reading that too. It was somewhere along the lines of, we weren't trying to hide this. Yeah. Like, like we gave you clues all along and it's like, yeah, you absolutely did. And yeah, I mean, from the very start, you were, you were a hundred percent in on it. You were like, for sure, this is it. I'm, I'm married to this theory. I'm going with it. And, and I was looking at it way more like, you know, like the detective, like each episode, I was collecting a few more clues and building a case, but I still had that little part in the back of my mind going, this could still be a trick. It could still be a red herring. And did and the, he, uh, did the cold open shake you at all? Well, when that happened, I was like, I fucking hate it. This can't be true. It has to be Halbrand. <laughs> if it's not Halbrand, I'm going to be upset. And so I was really happy that it did turn out the way it did. But with that cold open for a brief moment, it, it gave me, you know, the, this this feeling of, oh, I don't like this. I even with that, I was just like, no, yeah. it was just I was like, this is a swerve. This is a swerve. And then like and then later in the episode when he's like, consider it a gift. I'm just like, OK, we're back on track. <laughs> We're that back on track. The, uh, the moment <laughs> yeah. for me, like besides uh, obviously thinking that the beginning thing was the beginning scene was too early and was a red herring was even before she Galadriel gets the final info is as soon as she asked for a family tree or for a history, I am swear immediately was like, that's a dead body. That guy's dead. That guy's dead. <laughs> I'm just like, I was just popping. And then I immediately thought about Brian and thought about you guys. I'm like, Oh my God, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And like I said, I don't think the reveal disappointed at all. I'm not always right. So this is kind of great that I was, actually, <laughs> I'm not, I, I, victory. I mean, take it, you know, I I've done a lot of recap shows and, and, you know, we, I've made some predictions and guesses and I've been wrong a lot, especially when we were doing the Legion podcast, I was wrong constantly, but it's fun to speculate, you know, Westworld season one, I kind of knew what was going on there. Uh, I, but I had a lot more doubts with Westworld than I did with this. I just felt like this is, the repentant version of Sauron in his fair form. And, and, and that's what we're going to get this season. We're going to find out, you know, penultimate or the finale. And we find out in the finale that he is in fact Sauron. And I, I kind of, I kind of loved it. And, and not because I was right, just because I do think it, it's, it's fun to, to set our villain up this way. I, I said it from the beginning of the season that you can go back and you can rewatch the full season now under a different lens. And how cool is it that like Galadriel and Sauron are on the raft together at the beginning, you know, like that it's, it's, it's kind of wild, especially at the end of this episode where it's like, we've got, you know, um, I feel like that's the new journey that's being set up is, you know, with the stranger and Nori, they're going to go on an adventure. And I felt like the original adventure that we went on was watching like a hero with the villain, with those two on the raft sharing like kind of like this journey, this adventure together throughout this season. So you can kind of, you can kind of go back and, and, uh, and watch it from the beginning of the season under a different lens. And it's like they really did. And I even said this in previous episodes that they really set us up to like Halbrand. And, and I feel like if you're watching this show and you're watching it correctly, 
<laughs> that you do, you are supposed to like Hal Brand. Comes off very charming and charismatic at times. And, but there was always something with him, and you guys can tell me how you feel about this, but there was always something with him where he was not very forthcoming about anything from his past. Like, we knew literally nothing about this guy other than just a, 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 just a few things here and there that, you know, he, he had lost some people, you know? And that's, that's really it. I mean, yeah, he had said that he lost his home to orcs. And I mean, in, in even the, the first time Galadriel asked about that pouch, he said he took it off a, a dead man. And which turned out to be true. I believed and, him. <laughs> I mean, just knowing this now, it's going to make the rewatchability of this season so good because now you can watch it knowing for certain and really, really paying attention, which which I feel like as much as we broke these down in multiple times we are watching and especially since you brought up so early the the theory that we were all watching it for that angle. But I still think the rewatchability for it is going to be fantastic. A hundred percent, Joe. I mean, that's kind of what I've been thinking about even while you guys were just talking. I think back to that scene with Adar and him kind of the two of them interacting and you know, Brian, even back in that episode, said like, I'm pretty sure he realized that this is Sauron. And now watching that scene back again, it's really like, man, Adar probably got the hell out of Dodge because he realized that was Sauron and like, crap, like there's a lot more going on. I thought I had a much more of an upper hand than I did. And again, like a lot of those scenes, but that's one in particular, I think going into next season and kind of where the final shot left us, we are definitely going to get interaction between the two of them. And I'm really looking forward to that. Now, how do you guys feel? I, I have mixed thoughts on, I'm warming up to the whole, him trying to uh, uh, kind of bring Galadriel over to his side to be his queen. I'm, I'm kind of warming up to that. But on the flip side, it, the part that kind of that I haven't gotten over is the temptation of power that he kind of brings to the table. He's like, I can give you power. And I felt like – <laughs> For me, does that take away from like the moment where Frodo is so willing to give her the ring and then she does resist it? I felt like that was like the first time that she resisted the power. And it feels like this is kind of like this. It's redundant when you watch it now in the Jackson movie. That's a good point. Like she's learning the same lesson twice. Like she should have learned that lesson already. Maybe if you just take that part as a demonstration to to Frodo that it, she's putting on a little bit of theatrics to cement home. I don't life. like that, though. I don't like doing the mental gymnastics of the theatrics. I like that scene for what it was in the Jackson movie because it was Frodo offering up the ring and then she herself is like kind of. Uh, like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad. She, you can tell, like, there's a bit of relief, like, wow, you know, I, I turned it down, you know? And I, I like that scene too. It's almost scary. Yes. Like, it really sells home the power of the ring because this super noble character, Galadriel, it, it could just turn her if she were, if she were to keep it, she couldn't resist and she admits it. I mean, I, I love what they're doing here, but I do feel like the only thing, you know, because I do want to connect these. I really do want to connect these this series with the movies because they it does it feels familiar. They're they're using a lot of like 
practical effects and and things like that that they did in the Jackson movies as well. And the characters feel like they just like come right from that Jackson uh, slash Tolkien world. But this is the one thing that kind of like left me not 100% satisfied with the way that it was handled. I, I think it's a different type of temptation. I think that that what, you know, Halbrand Sauron is offering her in this is, you know, you need to come be my bride. You need to be with the person that you've been relentlessly hunting for a thousand years that killed your brother. And in Lord of the Rings, she's being offered power not through an alliance with Sauron, but by taking his greatest weapon and being able to use it against him. And so I just see it as a different sort of temptation. Yeah, I, I kind of look at it I – mean, it's an interesting take, Brian, that you have there. I, I kind of look at it as if, like you said, I mean some of the lines that Halbrand even speaks to her mirror what she says to Frodo and how she would be beautiful and terrible and powerful. And I think it, it could be looked at maybe even especially after the rest of the show finishes and we have a little bit more of that relationship fleshed out. But to me, it's just a reflection because she is a, she does bear one of the rings of power. But knowing that ring of power, I think it's just – it could be looked at as a flashback to that temptation she may have had and where it would have gone if she had made a different choice and had gone with him. So I kind of look at it as her kind of looking back, if you go into fellowship now, to this moment and to maybe some of the decisions that will follow. But, um, I mean, that's kind of how where I go with it, at least. You guys have kind of warmed me up to it, but I'll be honest with you. It just – it still feels – a little redundant it's 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 power she's being offered this power and it feels like it she's it still feels to me in a way she's rejecting the same thing twice i don't know yeah i I mean i think that is fair because if the broad stroke of it is she's being offered power yeah and and like billy said one of the lines that halbrand says to her is identical to what she repeats to frodo yeah. It, it, you know, to be fair, at this moment when they're having this exchange, she doesn't have her ring of power yet. And as we know, the rings of power do different things for the different wearers and depending on who you are wearing it. So, again, maybe again, if you look at Galadriel's line in Fellowship, maybe a little bit more well informed because she has at that point spent, you know, eight, almost a full age with a ring of power and has seen how the events have played out. So. Again, I, I think that's maybe an even more interesting conversation to have well in the future when we do have this series all tied up. That's a great point. Maybe more Galadriel will kind of flesh that out a bit. Yeah, maybe after we you know watch her in, a, in another season, we'll be able to go back and watch the Jackson movie and, and have more of an understanding, right? I guess. I mean – I don't know. That's the hope. That's the hope. That's the hope, right? Just for me, it it, it doesn't ruin anything for me, but I just felt like the scene when I try to connect it with the Jackson movies feels redundant. And I know I'm being redundant by saying this multiple times. It's just, but it, it, that's just how it came off to me. And it's not a, it's not a huge gripe because I, I do like that they're exploring the side of Galadriel. I do like, that they're exploring this relationship between Galadriel and Sauron. I did appreciate that quite a bit. It just, um, for as much as I felt like this series was working to enhance my viewing of the Jackson movies, this was the only thing that really kind of like 
detracted from like that powerful moment, you know, where Frodo offers up the ring. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong for wanting that either. I, I think the show clearly wants to play off the Jackson movies. I mean, Howard Shore does the opening music, visually, the dialogue. I, I think there's a clear connection that the writers and makers of the show are trying to make to the Jackson trilogy. Oh, absolutely. They're definitely playing, paying homage to that in multiple ways. Can we talk about I, – I, I, we're going to be jumping all around in this one. I, and But I, can we talk about the three – wizards in this one and like i i do want to talk about like what they do in this episode but like can we talk about their demise and kind of like what we see did you guys get a nazgul visual from them oh absolutely oh for sure and i i think that's kind of just adhering to the point that they've already touched the unseen world and they've already kind of been messing with that type of magic and i think once you type you know, kind of let in mess with that type of magic outside of being an elf or someone super pure, even like a Frodo we see in the trilogy. I think that is kind of what happens to your soul and your spirit is kind of the read I took from it. People are now I, calling them the Nazgals. Uh, I've seen that. <laughs> I saw People that are very that. mad about I it. I, I don't understand why at all. I, I mean, I kind of got it at first. I, 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 it's the Nazgul weren't create. They were the, the nine men that, you know, that, that have had the rings later. So I guess this is just a precursor to that. Yeah. They're just some other type of wraiths. Yeah. They're, they're clearly wraiths, but you know, they're not the ring wraiths because they haven't been created yet. Uh, Yeah. And I, I have, I, I can accept that. I can accept because, that. like, yeah. look, look at the point where um, I think it's the aesthetic, the the one with the helmet. She gets stabbed in the foot, mm-hmm. and then that shriek that she lets out it sounds very similar to the Ringwraith shrieks in the Jackson films. And so that's and then also just with the way that they looked, you know, when they were kind of getting blasted apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think they were absolutely wraiths of some sort. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I mean, I don't have a problem with that now that. You know, at first I was like, okay, this is, this is wild. But, you know, if they're introduced, if they're possibly introducing Gandalf here in this age, then whatever. I'm, I'll go with it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I also found it interesting that they, uh, once, once they were finally defeated, destroyed, that they, they turned into moths. Just like, that was you know, cool. Yeah. We kind of saw, you know, uh, you know, we saw Gandalf talking to one. Um, which movie was that? Was that the two towers? Fellowship. That was the two towers when they zoomed to the top. Of, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Two yeah, towers. Sorry. Two towers. I thought he did in fellowship too, when he fights Saruman and he's stuck on the roof and he whispers to him to go get the Eagle to come rescue him. That's, uh, that's the scene I was thinking of. That is, yeah, that happens. That's correct. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And then they put it in, I'm pretty sure they shoehorned that into the first Hobbit movie as well, when they're being chased and they're stuck in the mountain and the tree, and pretty sure that Gandalf talks to a, a moth in that one too, and then the eagles show up again. So, Can we pour one out for Sadik? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh yeah. You know, th- And that was one of the, the minor gripes I had about this episode, is how do you have such a beloved character die 10 feet away from a healer? I, I I was thinking the same thing. Like we've seen this guy like with his, you know, whatever his ice healing powers that he used. Exactly. In a previous episode. I'm like, why can that not happen 
right now with Sadik? Like, why is this why is this not happening? Exactly. He can speak in full sentences now, but he can't heal this poor guy. Right, right. (laughs) I I was that was one question I had, but but I accepted it because Sadik seemed to be okay. You know, he's he's ready to wander off trail and and the missus is going to be waiting for him. And so that tied back to, you know, when they were all reminiscing in an earlier episode and we'd learned that his wife had died by wolves. Yeah, he definitely seemed very over it. Sadik is like, I have left a lot of innocent people to die on the trail. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and when they share his his death, I mean, when they remember him now in, in their future migrations, like he's going to have the most epic one. But what other Harfoot like went out to save one of the tall folk and then like died on the adventure? Yeah, I, I I am gonna miss that character though. I I will miss that character. So absolutely, yeah, fantastic character. I don't think we got enough of him. I I wanted to see more interaction with him, and and it, it would have been great to see him actually get to talk to the stranger. Now that the stranger has you know can speak in full sentences <laughs> and things like that. It yeah, exactly. So can we all? Is does anyone not think it's Gandalf? I'm 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 firmly in the camp of I think this guy's Gandalf. I, I think what the writers have shown us in season one, and they even said with their own quotes, is we're not trying to pull one over on the audience here. We're laying the breadcrumbs in front of you to follow this trail. And they've just they've laid a lot of Gandalfy breadcrumbs. Will they ever yeah. refer to him as Gandalf in a future season? A hundred percent, yes. They'll probably start with like Mithrandir. I bet maybe we hear that first, even, you know what I mean? Is story name and and kind of work but i think eventually it would be really interesting to see if like they have one of the harfoots like no maybe she gives them that nickname or something like that that would be kind of cool i just think that we get howard shore's music drop when they finally name him gandalf oh yeah i i think that he's in future seasons he's going to be doing a lot of gandalfy type things and saying things that are very gandalf but they might not call him gandalf until they're about ready to wrap up the the series, and we'll none of us will be shocked at that time. So I agree with that. It could be a last episode type of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fifteen years from now, I guarantee Gandalf gets his name cooler than Han Solo does. <laughs> oh. <Yeah>. Fucking better. <laughs> so yeah, Joe, go ahead. Let's uh, jump into some of the scenes that you wanted to touch on. I definitely want to touch on. Uh, and we, you know, we don't have to do it now, but Aryan and what's going on with that whole story. Yeah, why don't we just jump into that? Because as far as storylines go in this episode, the, the Numenorean stuff is is pretty short. Yeah. Uh, we just get a couple scenes. The The first one we see, uh, we see Farazan in Numenor and they're they're at the king's bedside and he's got a whole bunch of young like apprentices all assembled around him. And he's given this speech about um it will be our duty to forge for him a tomb granting him the immortality and stone that no man not even a king can attain in life and so basically he's telling all these apprentices hey the king's about to die we gotta build him this awesome tomb and the thing i really liked about this is it's really laying the groundwork for farazan being absolutely afraid of dying because in the text sauron 
eventually whispers poison into this guy's mind and convinces him to wage war on the Valinor, which brings about the downfall of Numenor. And so I feel like this little scene right there, that little bit of dialogue is really laying the trail for that. And um, Aerian is she's with the king and sketching him alone. And then he grabs her and talks to her, thinking that it's Muriel. And he's saying that they're going to have to return to the old ways if they're going to save the island. And uh, she she jumps up and tries to get help, but comes back and he's not in the bed anymore. And he's opened up a secret door and he bids her to go up and look into it. And he says that uh, he looked for too long and he, now he can't separate what is what was from what was that? That was a very confusing sentence. Now I cannot separate what is from what was, what was from what will be. And so she goes up the, the, the stairs and we basically see her going into that room that the Palantir is in. And we don't actually see the Palantir, but we see her pulling the cloth off. So we know that she's going to see the vision of, of Numenor's downfall. Uh, where do you guys think this is going to lead? Because you know, we've been speculating on what this show created character is is going to be, you know, how how is she going to tie into this? But if she's seeing the downfall of the island, you think she's going to want to get the fuck out of there, right? I've always kind of thought that that character is going to end up on the kind of the Farazan side of Numenor. I think it's going it would be an interesting kind of uh, with a Wendell coming back. It would be add some interesting conflict. Uh, like you said, Joe, I mean, eventually Sauron convinces them to try to go to war with the Valinor and to, with Valinor and all these type of things. And maybe be and maybe she would be a supporter of something like that, trying to get immortality where she knows that their whole island is doomed and, you know, trying to find a mortal life and take it is the only way. And so that's kind of where Eileen, I think she's unfortunately going to become a tragic character on the wrong side of history. I would have thought that before this interaction with Tar Palantir, when he's basically saying we have, I mean, we have uh, taken, I'm paraphrasing, but he's basically saying something like, you know, we have, we have stopped worshiping the Valar. We've, we, we're, we're, you know, at odds with the elves. This is not right. It, this is the fall of Numenor. It is happening because of this. I think once she sees, you know, in the seeing stone, what is going to be, I think she's going to change. I do think at one time she was fully on the, the side of Farazan. But I think that I, I agree with Brian. I think it, she's going to be one of the faithful now going forward. And working with 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 her father, Elendil, when he comes back. So go ahead, Jake. Yeah, this is exactly what she sees in the Palantir is going to sell home what the king was ranting to her before. This is firmly going to cement her into we need to go back to the old ways. And then she sees why. So, yeah, I, I'm complete in agreement there that she is not going to be with Farazan after this scene. Yeah, I don't see how she could. I mean, if you see what's in that Palantir and then combined in with what the king had just told you, like literally his last words before he dies. Yeah. And that's that's pretty heavy stuff. You'd, you'd have to be <laughs> pretty your head would have to be so far up your ass to ignore that. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe Farazan could like talk circles around her and make her think it meant something else. But that seems very unlikely. It's, not, it's I, the vision's going to be m- way more powerful than anything Farazan will be able to say. Whatever she sees in the Seeing Stone is going to be way more powerful than anything Farazan's going to be able to tell her. I, I think that she'll be dead set on having to 
I, it, it, she's going to have her work cut out for her, um, being who she is and, um, trying to convince people. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I do see them making, do you see them making a trip to the West to try to find their brother who's working with the faithful? Ooh, I like that. I, uh, because I mean, that would make sense. They've got to bring him in at some point. No, I definitely think we, I mean, see him. I mean, he is, if you kind of go into the lore, he has one of the kind of like founding lords with Isildur of, of Gondor and along with, with his, their, his father with the Northern kingdoms and such. So definitely is a, a key player in the future. I guess when I, I talk about maybe her being on the other side, I mean, I agree with you guys. I don't think this is like a, like a house of dragons situation where someone maybe misses. Don't, don't tell me any house of dragons spoilers because I, I haven't watched any except for oh, the first okay, two yeah. episodes. No, no, it won't, <laughs> and, and if our listeners aren't watching house of dragon, don't spoil it for them. I won't No, I won't get into any actual names or people or anything like that. But the idea of just that in history that, you know, unless you really see something, it's up for debate if something is real or not. Right. And so what my, I guess where I'm thinking is she sees this vision and could she misinterpret the cause of the vision or misinterpret it, or at least, you know, in her mind, how to get there. Right. So we're not exactly sure, you know, the perspective of, you know, we'll see these images, but you know, we all know this, it's kind of like in the eyes of the beholder too. And, I think that everyone that's that's laid their hand on that sing stone at this point, we know it's been uh, Queen Regent Muriel and Tar Palantir. They are both now 100 percent like on the side of the faithful. And he just got done saying, like, you know, we've we've strayed and this is why we're this is going to be the fall of Numenor. And I I think when she puts her hand on that, she's going to get the exact same message. I don't think there's going to be any mixed signals as to what the future holds if they keep going the way that they're going and if they keep striving for immortality and they reject the Valar, the gods. I, I, I don't see it going any other way. Yeah, I, I think yeah, conflict- the drama is going to be between – oh, sorry. No, no. You might be on the same path as me. What were you going to say? The drama is going to be between her and her father. I think if anyone's going to be leaning towards Farazan's cause, it's going to be her, her father. Well, we already know that, you know, Muriel has been trying to feel Elendil out if he's one of the faithful. I mean, he was taught Elvish and, and I, I do think that, I do think that Elendil wants to be one of the faithful. And now that like one of his kids is, is starting to, you know, could lean that way, it might make that decision a lot easier for him. I don't know. I, I worry about. I worry about that character. I feel like he's the most susceptible to to Farazan. Alendil? No, he's. I think that the in the next the next Numenorean scene that we get where where him and Muriel are talking on the ship and they're talking about faith and what it means to stick mm. to that path. Yeah, he's he's done an about face. Yeah, and he's gotten over his his rage and his grief at Galadriel, and he's realized that this is the price that they have to pay. And he more or less tells her that, you know, we're going to make sure that we're going to make sure that the ends are worth what 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 it's cost us. And so I, I feel like a Lendil's back on the path. I, I think that that the real conflict that Aryan is going to be facing is trying to convince Kemen because they laid this relationship with her. He's firmly on the side of Numenor. Like he didn't even understand why his father was supporting 
the the mission into Middle Earth until his father, until Farazan told him, no, this is all about gold. You know, we could make money and have influence and 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 stuff off of this. And so Kemen is clearly in the camp of fuck this. It's Numenor for life. And yeah. so I think that that's where the conflict is going to be. Is she's going to be trying to convince him to leave and he's not going to be about it at all. Where do you think that goes okay. next season, Joe? I mean, it's one of those things where is it? <laughs> I mean, Gandalf says, follow your nose. Is he going to follow his heart here or is he going to follow his father? I, I start, I'm leaning towards him breaking her heart next season. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, and I think that, that maybe her want to try and save him might make it so that she gets trapped on that island and dies in it. You never know. Because oh, I've, I've yeah. been thinking from the beginning that they'd make that perfect Jack and Rose Titanic storyline on Numenor. Right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> just the way that scene left us with her like taking the cloth off of the seeing stone and then like that's it. It's like, okay, now it's like you got to leave it all up to your imagination for season two. And I was kind of like, fuck you. I want to know. <laughs> Wait two years. <laughs> uh well, and with Muriel coming back blinded also, it just it feels like it's going to be that much easier for Farazan to 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 seize power. And in the books, he actually forces her to marry. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we we could be seeing that happen. It, 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 did anybody else feel sparks between Elendil and Muriel in that scene in the boat? For sure. Yeah, definitely. I felt that since the beginning of the series, I felt like they've been they've been teasing that dynamic. So it is interesting to see where that goes, because now in her current state, he becomes much more of a caretaker to her. Right. And she has to put a lot more trust into him than she would have had to have before just because of her limitations now. So I'm really interested to see where that character goes, because it's she's going to have to be very vulnerable. And that's something obviously not easy for her. I think she's handling it all pretty, pretty well. She's a badass, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You got to give her some credit, man. She's really, she's handling this well. She's like, okay, this is, a, it's an obstacle, but she's like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through. I, I, I kind of love what they're doing with Muriel. I think she's an awesome character. All right. Joe, what, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, well, that pretty much covers all the Numenor stuff. Um, let's see. We, we talked quite a bit already about, the the stuff with the occultists and the greenwood with the stranger. Oh, one of the things I wanted to talk about the the way it showed their magic in this one with the illusions. I loved the way that they did that, especially the second time we see um, that illusion happen where where she's disguising herself as the stranger and tied to the tree. Yeah, and then when she turns and the way that the cloak turns into like leaves just kind of piling off of her. I just thought that effect was incredible. I thought uh, a lot of the CG looked fantastic in the, in the action too. the way that the, the, the way that they were displaying their magic, like the rocks floating in the air and stuff like that. It just looked, everything looked really good. Mm. Even stranger, like flying against a tree, like that kind of stuff usually looks so CGI and, and even movies. And that looked really good here. It was a dark, darkly lit scene. Which kind of helped, but I mean, not to take anything away from like the VFX artists, I, I think that they did a fantastic job. It looked really good. 
Yeah, great camera work here too. Like when when it was disguised as Nori and we do like the camera spin around reveal, yeah. I thought that really sold it home too. Oh god. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you've got you've got the the main one who's getting ready to like, you know, use this flamethrower magic and and <laughs> that and looks that, so cool. And then all of a sudden it's like the Harfoots doing what Harfoots do, kind of like blending into their surroundings, camouflaged, start popping rocks and throwing rocks at his head, at her head. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I was smelling a little bit of Ewok vibes from that moment, too. Nub nub. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> I totally agree with you guys, just even like the presentation of the magic and of, you know, it was called Gandalf, his power. It's again based in nature. It looks like he's using the forces of wind and, and flame, and, and it's nothing mechanical and it's nothing super over the top kind of incantation spells and electricity or that it's, it feels natural. And again, Tolkien is, we talked about all season about the power of nature and his emphasis on nature. And I just love that. That's how they wanted and shown and presented his power. I, I loved it too. When, when he got a hold of the dwellers staff and then, yeah, so cool. And then the cultists say he's not Sauron. He is the Istar. Which was cool because this is the first time that they finally used the word in in the series. And w- what did you think of of him saying "I'm good"? I liked it because they they kind of sold that earlier in the episode too, with him mumbling about not being the peril. It did feel like a bit of a character arc for this character to finally come to that consensus that they were good. Well, I, I didn't mind it at all. It was one of it was that it was that it was that moment where. They're like, well, let's show him who he is. And it kind of backfired on him, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it, Jake's right. Like this whole season, he's felt like he's peril, that he's brought nothing but bad with him. And 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 now he's ha- coming to the realization that he's good. And it's like, OK, th- if this is Gandalf, which I'm, you know, I think we're all sold that it is. It's like this is the origin story. And, you know, I mean, it's it's awesome to go back and and watch this from the beginning of the season where people are thinking like, oh, this could be Sauron. You know, everybody could have been Sauron in this whole show. It's like Adar is Sauron. Is Galadriel Sauron? Is Elrond Sauron? It's the like, poppy is Thoron was uh, Sauron was one of my favorites. Oh, like, God. Really? With the That's traveling hilarious. songs? <laughs> And we, we've speculated on previous episodes that if this character is indeed Gandalf, then this explains his fondness for these types of, of, of creatures. Like, and now that we've seen this arc, and if not for this race, he wouldn't have maybe decided that he was a good entity. Then, I mean, you could see why he would feel that fondness. Like, this really connects to the Jackson stuff to me. Oh, for sure. I mean, I feel like this is the origin story of that line we even see in the Hobbit films. And they say, why Bilbo Baggins? And he says, perhaps because I'm afraid and he gives me courage. It's like this will show the origin story of these small folk being able to do miraculous things. And we already saw here in the finale, one willing to sacrifice his life for, you know, a stranger for better terms. And it's something that I think over this series, we're going to see the Harfoots do a lot of you know, uh, Hobbit-esque tasks and crazy things that they shouldn't be able to do. And it's just going to line, like you said, perfectly into the Jackson stuff. I don't know about you guys, but I really wanted Poppy to join at the end. 
that's what I was just going to ask. It, it, do you think that that we're going to see her joining Nori in season two, or does this pretty much put a bow on that? That they, they kind of pointed out a way that she's needed with the Harfoots because because Malva can't even read the map. <laughs> yeah, I I think that it sadly I, felt like a bow. I think well, possibly after the migration ends, right? If they can cross paths somehow, but. It, <laughs> I hope so. I hope they find a way, but this really felt like closure between Nori and Poppy for at least a season. Yeah. I think maybe they'll settle in the Shire and then they, maybe we see them later on. Yeah. I just thought that they were going to end up in the Shire. That's like where the migration finally ends. And that's, we kind of get the origins of you know, some of those families we know. Yeah. Jackson films. <laughs> the Howard Shore music's definitely going to cue if they end up at the Shire. <laughs> yeah, they'll have to go through some familiar landmarks, too. They'll have to start heading west and uh, go through the Gap or what will be called the Gap of Rohan and then go north. But because right now it's like the Misty Mountains is really their only barrier. So yeah. Nori, Nori and the Stranger now are ha- uh, traveling. Are they traveling east to Rune? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that'll be, I mean, that's setting up that storyline for them going into next season. And then the stranger given the, the, the Gandalf line word for word. And it's like, right. yeah, are they it, teasing us or is it a breadcrumb? I, 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 after the, after the bit with Sauron and Halbrand, it's like, I, I think that this is more of a breadcrumb than a, a red herring. <laughs> I agree. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Either it's like, no, no, this is just a common belief among the Istari. We always follow our nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that, I mean, that pretty much wraps up everything with the Harfoots then. And, uh, boy, the stuff with Oregion, it just comes in just a, uh, just blazing, you know, just as fast as Galadriel and Halbrand are racing into Oregion. And did you notice too that like Halbrand the way when that wide shot that he's like slumped over the neck of his horse in the wide shot too? I did not notice that. <laughs> yeah, because like Galadriel's riding like normal, and Halbrand he's he's pretty much just tied slumped to the over. saddle. I'm looking at it right now. That is a great call out, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and um, oh, and I and I loved that. The, this is another one of those chance encounters that's you know Tolkien works are just rife with that Galadriel and Elrond just happen to be in a region at the same time, and boy the look on Elrond's face when Galadriel comes in like just pure shock I loved seeing it and You're then supposed they, to be in heaven yeah, <laughs> yeah what are you doing here and then they have that talk right away and she kind of explains everything that happened and and saying that. That, you know, she she didn't want to stay on that ship to Valinor because she knew that she hadn't earned it yet. And and she just had to trust. And she so she just jumped in the sea. And the only thing she could do is swim. And then Elrond saying that, you know, he's he's never going to make he made a mistake and not trusting her. And it's a mistake he's never going to make again. Um, uh, let's see. Then yeah, we get, I'm surprised that he. I'm surprised that he instantly just regretted what he did for Galadriel. I thought that would be a bit more of a conversation or something to chew on, but they pretty much resolved it right here and there. Elrond's the best, dude. 
Elrond is that dude. He is the most humble. He's the, the so far at least, and I'm I'm sure during the seasons we're going to see some probably mistakes he makes and kind of see him anger a bit more because we have to see what he ends up becoming that we're used to a little bit more of a, a jaded Elrond. But I just love how he's just willing to say, "My bad, I'm sorry, no problem." He again, he's we've been joking, but he was until maybe now always the exact opposite of Galadriel. Well, I think he's yeah. learned a lot with his relationship with Durin and how important friendships are and, and trust really is, right? Oh, absolutely. It's a great point. Uh, I loved the scene with Celebrimbor and Halbrand at the oh, workshop. Oh, God, that was one of the best scenes in this episode, Joe. It was it was just fantastic. The, the Calibrimbor? Calibrimbor? He's, yeah, totally defeated. And that's all it takes. You got to stroke the guy's ego just a yeah, little bit. Uh-huh. And then he's going to open up those nice dwarven made shades and show you the whole workshop. <laughs> just couldn't be more proud. Um, and, you know, it, it goes right Dude. to what Halbrand was telling Galadriel earlier in the season. You know, find what your enemies are afraid of. Help them master it. And in so you master them. Did you notice there, like, there, there's a moment where he where Halbrand picks up the the piece of mithril and Calabrimbor is like has this look of like you got to get out of here give that back to me and then Halbrand starts talking shop and Calabrimbor is just like oh my god somebody will talk to me about this shit like it's like (laughs) it's like he's like it's it's like it's a great performance I noticed his flinch as well it's it's so good subtle like flinch moment and then he's like okay I'm into this yes (laughs) it's like if you're into like model cars and nobody else is and then you find that one guy on the internet that will talk about model cars <laughs> it's like or imagine if you're at his house and you touch his most prized model car without him knowing you're into it he's gonna he's gonna flinch it yeah first, but then when you start talking your model car shop exactly like, oh, okay. you do have the right to touch my my prized possession boom well and also kelly brimbor's got to be looking at halbrand like who is this child you know, like I've been alive for so long, this low man that had to come here to get healed. And now he, he's he's invaded my workshop. He's touching my mithril. I don't like this. And then all of a sudden, Halbrand worms his way in. Yeah. By and talking shop. A hundred percent. And it, because he smoothed like it was like that, you know, Halbrand says, oh, my master spoke of you. And I don't know about you guys, but like I don't know how many you know smiths in the Southlands are really talking about the smithing of Kella Brimbor. Like Kella Brimbor just so into that this guy's into him, he doesn't even bother to think like maybe I should ask like who was your master? You know, <laughs> uh, just another Kella Brimbor simp. Yeah, They're exactly. You know, from the Southlands. <laughs> oh, 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 you mean Morgoth? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's like. Or maybe yeah, his <laughs> maybe his master was Morgoth, or you know, but he didn't he worship the was it Aule the the the, the smithy of the gods yeah, yeah. so um, but th- this 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 scene here also should show us how powerful uh, or, or how um, difficult it had to have been for Galadriel to resist his temptations, right? I mean, he's getting one over on Calabrimbor. He's weaseled his way into, like, everything. Like, into the battle he fought side by side but with her. And, and you know, he's so charming. And yet Galadriel can, like, 
push him away and and reject him. Like that's huge. Oh, absolutely. There's a line from the text too where Galadriel says that Sauron is ever seeking, you know, entry into her mind. And and so I wonder if the writers kind of took that and then ran with it a little bit to mm-hmm. to like they looked at that like, oh, he has an obsession with Galadriel. Where would that have spawned from? Yeah. And yeah, they and they told that story very well in this first season. Yeah, it does seem like he he legit wanted her to be by his side. He he did think he had regency and had an argument to make her make that decision. I, I don't think I think he was surprised that she wasn't just going to go all in on him. Well, he, he see, it's like he was the I think the only reason that he was the repentant Sauron that he was is because he lost. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that I never would have happened had they won. He ne- it, 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 there would yeah. never have been this like fear of the Valar. Like now he's got this fear of the Valar because they lost. Now he's got to go on the run. Now he's like in complete survival mode. But he's been making these small moves and slowly gaining, rising in power. And But then there's like this little piece of him that thinks like all the good that's come out of this has been from Galadriel and me, me teaming up with her. And he's trying – it's almost like he's trying to convince himself that he can kind of stay in both worlds. Yes. Mm-hmm. If he has her by his side, right? Yeah, I because I believe yeah, exactly. Brian, at least how they portrayed it that the the feelings or the the at least the want for her him to have her with him is genuine. But like you said, he's he's trying to reconcile who he ultimately wants to become. But how can I keep these things that don't equate to that? So like you said, it, it will be interesting to see if throughout these seasons they show him have a maybe some sort of a, a soft spot for her or. Maybe he shows her some sort of mercy at some point because she saved him. And I'm very interested to see how they continue to play that dynamic out now that they're not going to probably be geographically together as often. I don't know. It's that's a great point. That is a great point. Mm -hmm. She saved him, though, and he saved her. Uh huh. And so he might be thinking, you know what? We're even. That's true. They even say that the, the dialogue even supports what you're saying, Brian. They they say they're balanced out. Mm-hmm. I think like if if she would have if let's say she would have was like yes, you know, you need a you need a good woman, you know, I'm gonna I can fix you, and I'll I'll be with you. I don't think that I think I don't think what he was thinking uh, would have come out of that relationship would have happened she would have gotten corrupted yes and that's what yeah, it comes I, down I to she couldn't have because a lot well a lot of people online joe are like trying to like man they're really trying to ship them like man i would love to see that like <laughs> and i'm and i'm and i'm for as for as you know fun it is is to think about that that fan fiction um i do think in the end though that you know if if you've got something uh, something like that in the relationship where you've got one person in the relationship that is that is harboring some some evil uh that the good is not going to be able to to keep that keep that balance i don't think there's going to be a balance there i think she'd end, eventually get corrupted and yeah she would be consumed by the power and the the wanting to rule and all this other stuff so 
you know, she definitely made the the correct decision here. <laughs> she's definitely over him. Like she's never gonna have any feelings towards him anymore, especially with all of her history, what happened to her brother. But I definitely think he's gonna continue to harbor feelings for her. Can see that. Oh, Gil Gallad comes in, and so that's where Gil Gallad totally not happy to see Galadriel back. And and I love when when she kind of argues that you know the bold path is what we need to take. And she's like, I would not be here otherwise. And he's like, you shouldn't be here at all. Gil <laughs> mm. <laughs> Gallo doesn't seem happy at all during this entire conversation. Like everything seems to be displeasing him. He's not happy to hear that Halibrand was involved in what the new plan is. Not happy to see Galadriel. He's not feeling this. Well, nobody listens to him at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and but the crown's for you, Galliet. No the crown's for ever. you. I think he's still <laughs> upset from two episodes ago where he lost his table. So <laughs> Fucking dwarf definitely stole that shit from me. <laughs> yeah, he finally <laughs> caught on. He finally <laughs> caught on. Like, that story was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Moving classic while they're having this earth-shattering debate about the, the fate of their their kind and what the decision is going to be. And by the way, that was my fucking table. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yeah. remember when we used to have these meetings at that table I used to have. Oh my God. If they just had the scene, but it was around the table, but with no tabletop. And then, <laughs> in the and then they flash to the table and Duran's kids are running around on top of it. Like, sword fighting or something you know? <laughs> the big smashing Amazon. rocks against it yeah <laughs> Doran's getting some sweet love on the table oh my god <laughs> take that Gilgala <laughs> they're smart uh, it did really speak to his character though that when they proposed this plan that you know we're gonna have to make something a lot smaller we're thinking something ideally circular a crown and they're saying that they want to put it on his head. And he's, I mean, he's hes not into it. He, he says perilous are these whisperings. So, like, he's immediately on guard for this. Like, that's a lot of power to just put in one person. And I thought that really spoke to his character that he wasn't immediately like, yeah, great idea. Give me all the power. You're right. I, I, I thought in that moment, you know, before he had that reaction, that this was going to be the thing that would, like, swing him. You know, like, oh, yeah, give, you know, give me the crown. But you're right, Joe. He he didn't like that idea. No, no. And yeah, I love that. And when when Kella Brimbor was like arguing with him about it and he said that. Uh, oh, he said, like, I almost had it sooner. Um, say Saying something like it was in conversations with the low man. And that's when. When Gilgalad's like, you got this idea from the low man? And he's like, no, his, his. No, no, Calabrimber, like call, that- Calabrimber calls him the Southlander. And then Gilgalad says, oh, the low man? You know, yes. like, yeah. And then Calabrimbor says, his words were but the key that opened the dam. And then that was like the first time you see um, uh, Galadriel's kind of look at him like, okay. And then when he says that, um, Oh, uh, he goes. Uh, suggestions. Uh, his ex- his suggestions were but the key that unlocked the dam. We're on the cusp of crafting a new kind of power, not of strength, but of spirit, not of flesh, but over flesh. This is a power of the unseen world. And it's the exact shit that Adar had said. And so that was the point where she was all of a sudden like, whoa, where 
where did you hear these words? And Celebrimbor couldn't even rightly say where. And it, do you think that like that Halbrand Sauron like put some sort of like spell over him, like in some sort of like hypnotic suggestion, like putting these ideas in his head, but not allowing him to remember where they came from? I do. It really felt like that watching the scene. It's almost like he it's like she had to like, did you spend some time with Halbrand? And, you know, it's like it's you're 100 percent right, Joe. It feels like Halbrand almost made it to where it's like he thought he was the one who came up with this in a way. Yeah, exactly. Because Galadriel like flat out asks him like those words, a power over flesh, where'd you hear them? And Celebrimbor says, I was conferring with my smiths, I, I think. I, I believe those are my words. And it's like he doesn't – like he totally thinks that that's his idea. Right. Oh, brilliant. It's like he intoxicates them, right? He's putting them into a trance in a way. And, and then on the way, Al, I think you said he's like, wait, w- w- did I say that? Did I it, – it's, it's so cool. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. I really hope they emphasize that over the next few seasons when – He's supposed to be having these these conversations and these outcomes where if you read on paper right now, you're like, how would anyone take anything he said going forward, knowing who he is? But you said there is that magical sense to his words. It's almost like a kind of a parallel to, to Saruman in the trilogy that his words had power and were entrancing. Don't let the wizard speak and things like that. So I, I hope that they continue to emphasize that. And I really loved the the. The conversation between Gil-Galad and Elrond, where Gil-Galad is, you know, saying, you know, hey, I don't owe you anything. I don't have to allow you more time. We need to leave. And Elrond says, then, you know, do it not out of recompense. Do it because I asked you. And Gil-Galad says, it's a fool's hope, Elrond. Merely that, nothing more. And then Elrond says, hope is never mere, not even when it is meager. Or have you forgotten your own counsel? And I just love that scene because it goes right back to the argument that Gil-Galad was making to Elrond for why he needs to try and get this mithril from the dwarves. I love when anything comes full circle and especially something written in this way. And it is awesome. And even though it's not something you may have remembered word for word, as soon as he said that, you're like, oh, he did say something along those lines. That was him using his own advice against him. And again, I love that the writers kept that in mind and. It wasn't just a throwaway line. Yeah. And then yeah, Galadriel's definitely getting suspicious and she pulls that one elf aside and asks for him to search through the records about the, you know, genealogy of the kings from the Southlands. So I mean she's definitely on to him now. And and you even see like Halbrand kind of giving some over the shoulder looks where he even knows that okay, she's on to me. Oh, I didn't even notice that, Joe. Oh yeah, I didn't when, pick up on that at all either. It's when Halbrand's helping Celebrimbor in the in the other Elven Smiths in the workshop, and then that that Elven courier comes back and tells Galadriel, "Hey, I you know I have some news for you." And so she then kind of says, "Okay, well let's leave the room." And you see Halbrand looking over his shoulder and watching them go. It's yeah, it's the, uh, the that that glance, right? That quick glance. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so that's when then Halbrand goes and he seeks her out down by the water. Yeah, he's like, I got to let's make sure everything that we're, everything's good between me and her because <laughs> I got to look, you know, and I think every guy has gotten that look before seeing that yeah. look. And 
Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, th- this scene might have actually not been quite by the river yet, but it's when Halbrand goes up and he's like, he's like, oh, I can't, I can't believe it. You know, I'm here actually working with Celebrimbor. This is just amazing. And and he thanks Galadriel for it, and and that's when she gives the the line of you know our scales are balanced. We saved each other's lives. And then Halbrand, and this is, I think this goes into why she's not really saying anything is because he's like, no, no, you've done far more than that for me. I'd all but given up, but you believed in me. You saw strength in me. You pushed me to heights that no one else could have. I'll never forget it, and I'll see to it that no one else does either. Basically saying, this has all happened because of you, and I'm going to make sure everybody knows it. That's fucking ominous. Oh, it is. It's a backhanded, it's kind of blackmail, it's a telling the truth, and also, I thought it was really subtle, is that he puts his hand on her shoulder, right? It's like, how many mm-hmm. people are so familiar that they think it's appropriate that they can put their hands on Galadriel's shoulder, right? And it's just there's just a familiar being very familiar and being very confident in your standing at that moment to to feel like you could do something like that. I thought that was so sinister. And did you notice how it kept showing him as being way taller looking than Galadriel when they were side by side in scenes together? Yeah, they were doing like low cam shots. It's it's like he's growing in stature now, like that it that like he's coming so close to his plans. So it's a great, great, great like throw out right now. I'm looking at it right now, and you're right. The dynamic is so different than it's always been between the two of them. Like you said, he came into the city hunched back, dead over a horse, and now look at him, right? He's marching around. He's wearing nice clothes. He's got a, a levity to him that he had never had before. And like you said, it's the it's the signs of a man who is getting what he wants. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then with that scene down by the river where Galadriel confronts him and saying that the line was broken, the last man to bury your crest died over a thousand years ago with no air. And, and he just kind of smiles. And he's like, I told you I found it on a dead man. And it's like, oh, shit, he's really diving right into it. And. And then when she says, tell me your name, and he says, I've been awake since before the breaking of the first silence. In that time, I've had many names. Oh, absolutely chilling. And and then she goes to attack him and and like, you know, she tries to stab him with the dagger and he stops it just easily. And then basically like sends her into like a prison in her mind. And like, yeah, she he, thinks he, that she's he goes, he goes, he goes pro- full, like full professor acts on her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Like he drops her into a memory where she's talking with her brother under that tree. Where, you know, in the first episode, they had the conversation about, you know, sometimes you have to touch the darkness. And and it's it's like Sauron is speaking through Finrod's voice and in trying to, like, gaslight her into believing that that, you know, no, no, your brother, he 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 wasn't or, you know, speaking as Finrod, he's like, I wasn't my mission wasn't to to kill Sauron. It was to bring peace. And, and in that. In that journey, I, I found out that that was also Sauron's mission. And it's the same thing that the elves are trying to do right now to to harness this new kind of magic to to save Middle Earth. And, you know, you don't need to you don't need to tell anybody about it. Just just let the work proceed. It's just so ominous. It's the gaslighting of Galadriel. You know, <laughs> it's totally what it is. Just get on the next boat and leave. Just let what's going to happen happen. God, and then he says, touch the darkness once more. Ugh. 
And then it it switches, and now it's with Halbrand and Galadriel, and they're back on the raft. And and basically Halbrand's arguing with her and saying that, you know, you told me. You knew that I was – you knew that I had sinned, and you said it didn't matter. So it shouldn't matter that I'm Sauron because of what we have now. And this is where he kind of makes his pitch to her that, you know, you can be my queen. Like like you – you bring me the light and and I bring you the power and together we can save middle earth. And also that scene where the water goes clear and we kind of get the mirror of Galadriel and for a brief moment in the reflection, he's super tall and he's got the armor on of Sauron and everything. I loved that shot. Loved that shot. That was like the shot of the episode I thought. And so I love the way that this whole scene went, how it just increased and as it turned into more of an argument between them and it was just focused in so the camera so tight on their faces going back and forth. And then you see these storm clouds rolling in around them, almost like a match to the anger that Galadriel's feeling. And then it turns into a shouting match between them. And then in that moment, you see Halbaran's eyes change and it goes to the slits. And it's like, that's the first time we see Sauron's real eyes. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, are you, uh, uh, the uh, uh, the way that it kind of made it look like the Eye of Sauron. Yes. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. awesome. And and then yeah, I mean, then she's pretty much out of the water. She or then it, it switches again and it shows her under the water and she's sinking. And this time, Halbrand isn't coming down to save her. And instead, the hands pulling her out of the water, Elrond, and she he's pulling her from the the Glanduin River, and. You know, she comes to and she's not knowing what's going on. She's putting a knife to his throat. And then he tells this very heartwarming story about the first time they met that he was just a boy and he had nobody around him and she gave him water. And that was kind of the start of their friendship. Is it just me or does Elrond look like Neil Patrick Harris? <laughs> oh, totally. No, it's not just you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's it kind of sounds like him. Yeah, he, I, I've been wanting to say it forever, but it's just like, man, he he looks like Doogie Howser. <laughs> He's got that Neil Patrick Harris five head going. <laughs> yeah. It definitely looks like him. <laughs> the hair. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Uh, that's incredible. It's <laughs> <laughs> in the episode where Elrond types and tells us what he learned that episode. <laughs> If he was like in the next Harold and Kumar movie, I wouldn't even yeah, I wouldn't even know the difference. You <laughs> <laughs> could play a song, that'd be really funny. <laughs> Tells Celebrimbor, I got sex stains on your forge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Galadriel runs to the workshop where Celebrimbor's there alone and and she says that, you know, they don't she doesn't think that they'll see Halbrand again and and that if he does show up, they should have no further dealings with him. And then she insists that they they make three objects for balance and that, you know, the power that they forge will be for the elves alone. Yeah, one um, one is too much power, two will divide, and then three is balanced. Yeah. I thought that was great. Really good I, reasoning yes. for why they're making three. Um now clearly it's it's making it seem like they haven't made the what is it be 16 rings the 16 other rings that 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 Celebrimbor and Sauron were supposed to have made together um it doesn't seem like those have been made yet so no. do you think 
that that with Galadriel saying here, I don't think he's going to be back. But if he does, we're not dealing with him anymore. And Celebrimbor kind of gets this bummed out look on his face like, oh, I miss my bro. And so I think he's going to show back up in season two and they're going to make those other rings. Or they don't even they already made them. I don't think they have. I don't even think they're in the plan yet. I think I think that will happen. Probably. Don't you think it could happen with a, a conversation between Elrond and Durin? Yeah, Duran I mean, could. could want his own rings, and yeah, I could see that. But yeah, I don't even think – Sauron may have that plan already, but I don't think the other characters have any thoughts of making other rings yet. I, I'm curious to see if maybe they, they try to lay on the idea of Sauron being a shapeshifter, and maybe it's a thing where he comes in as his elvish form. Keller Brimbor realizes it's him, but – doesn't care because he really thinks that the idea is right or something in that type of nature. I still think there is going to be some more deception involved with Sauron in the future of the series. Yeah. Cause they are doing a little bit different from the text. Cause in the text, they make the 16 rings first and then Anatar leaves. And then that's when Celebrimbor makes the three without him. So they're, they're doing it a little bit backwards in this. We'll just have to see how it, it plays out in season two. Mm-hmm. Curious. Um, and then Celebrimbor uh, tells Galadriel that if he's going to alloy this mithril with something, um, that he needs like very pure gold and silver, and it has to be ores from Valinor. And so basically, Galadriel has to sacrifice her brother's dagger, which has meant a lot to her. It's something that she's carried for hundreds and hundreds of years. And but she does. She eventually gives it up and they, they melt it down. And this whole scene, what did you guys think of the scene with, with it melting down? And then the way they added the mithril in and kind of like that, that spinning pot with all the molten ore in it and the way that they brought it out. I thought that was really cool. They kept, was top notch. they kept talking, you know, previously about how like the metals won't bond and, and all this stuff. And I was like, man, just play some fucking Barry White music, you know? Set the mood for these metals. Yeah, get the metals in the mood, you know what I mean? Play some Luther, <laughs> play some Luther Poor Vandross, you know? Poor play. <laughs> oh, it's too baby. bright in there, too. Dim the lights a little bit. Yeah, some candles, you know? <laughs> You've been around for thousands of years you need a little bit more to get you excited <laughs> uh we see elrond kind of go into detective elrond mode and he goes down by the river and and finds that scroll in the reeds reads it and he's kind of got an inkling of what's going on and but when he goes back to the workshop kellebrimbor has got all three of the rings done at that point and i i loved this final little bit here how it it like the rings are reflected in an eye and then it pans out and the eye is also reflecting the fires of Mount Doom. And then when it pans out, it's Halbrand and now he's in a black cloak and he's down in Mordor with Mount Doom in the distance. So, yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to be running into Adar soon. I like that he instantly set the mood with this costume change. Yeah. If we get a scene where Halbrand tells Adar that he has the high ground, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
it was a very <laughs> reminiscent shot of an ending Jackson scene, you know, a, a vast landscape, a character kind of beginning a journey toward that faraway destination. Uh, really, really cool. And like you guys said, I mean, he literally is Darth Vader, Sauron, all of a sudden, boom, no worries, I'm wandering to the mountain, all good. Got all the plan, and the look in his eye, like, again, everything is going according to plan. This is so sinister, and I'm just really looking forward to seeing the actor be able to just have that free reign to just play evil and, and be more of a Sauron we would kind of think about if we just thought about who Sauron is as opposed to this charming, handsome Southlander we've gotten to know. I'm really looking forward to be able to see that performance. Yeah, there's a lot more to do with Sauron. I mean, if we're going to connect these to the Jackson movies, there's some interesting stuff is going to happen to this character. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> this this really wasn't in the episode, but just one of the things I've seen online with. And I sent this to the group chat where somebody had made a cut where it's showing Halbrand and then it, in Mordor at the end. And it has the text come up in the top left corner of the screen that says Halbrand and then it turns to Sauron. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yeah, yeah that was, was hilarious. Great. <laughs> it would have been high comedy if they had put that in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> themselves. The, the, the showrunners talked with uh, – they talked with The Hollywood Reporter and they also talked with Deadline about what we can expect for season two. They kind of talked about what, like, you know, uh, what their plans were for – Hal Brand in season one and then what, and then, yeah, what going into season two, they, I, who was, it was McKay who said, uh, what's in the Lord of the Rings books is an all encompassing evil that everyone is afraid of and is so powerful. It doesn't even have to be manifested physically. He's an image of an eye in the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films. He's the eye on the tower. We felt Sauron should be a character in his own right. We wanted to study the currents running within him in a way that hopefully would reward audiences as they follow him moving forward as he becomes the Dark Lord. You know him as a person outside the name Sauron. In some ways, we wanted to do an origin story for Sauron. We didn't want to make a show that was about the hunt for Sauron, but we loved the idea of Sauron as a deceiver who could hopefully deceive some of the audience, uh, adds J.D. Payne. Quote, there's something that Milton does in Paradise Lost that we talked ab about a lot, where he makes Satan a really compelling character. In some ways, he's the first anti-hero, where he's compelling and you can't take your eyes off him. Milton did that on purpose because he wants you to fall along with Adam and Eve. He wants Satan to be so persuasive that he also seduces the reader and you're unconsciously won over so that you perceive your own fallenness and your need for redemption. Um, Payne then said, in Tolkien, Sauron is a deceiver, and we know that in Second Age, he appears in fair form. So what if he sneaks up on you and is able to get you to sympathize with him and get you to be on board with him so that once you actually realize who he is, that he's already got his hooks in on you. So it's not just as easy as, quote, this person is evil, I'm going to back away because you've already formed some level of attachment to him. What if we could get the audience to go through a similar journey? I love how they're kind of, you know, they're wanting to make it, and they did. It was totally interactive with the audience all season. We're all trying to guess who Sauron is. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then by the time it's like, you know, you do fall in love with the character of Hellbrand. It's like... 
he's got his hooks in on you and it's like oh my god and then and then we're all set up for the fall here so i loved it i thought it was a, a great way to introduce the character i thought it was fantastic yeah i totally agree their, their plan absolutely worked and you know we're we're in this era now of the sympathetic villain and i mean who would ever think that they could make a a sympathetic sauron and they managed to do it. I mean, the the performance that Charlie Vickers put in this season was top notch, and it's it's going to make it very interesting going into the rest of this series, having this connection that we've all made with this character throughout the first season, and I and I feel like they're going to keep doing things with him where they can't just flip it over and have him immediately just be full on evil and so twirling really, his mustache right away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm really interested, really interested to see what the next like incarnation of this character is going to be. Well, they, they kind of talk about it in this interview. They, they talk about what we can expect from him. They say season one opens with who is Galadriel? Where did she come from? What did she suffer? Why is she driven? We're doing the same thing with Sauron in season two. We'll fill in all the missing pieces. McKay says Sauron can now just be Sauron. Like Tony Soprano or Walter White, he's evil, but complexly evil. We felt like if we did that in season one, he'd overshadow everything else. So the first season is like Batman Begins and The Dark Knight is the next movie with Sauron maneuvering out in the open. We're really excited Season two has a canonical story there may, uh, that there may well be viewers who are like, this is the story we were hoping to get in season one. In season two, we're giving it to them. Nice. Dude, so, that sounds really exciting. Yeah. And Deadline, Deadline asked McKay if season two will retell Sauron's history and how he got to where he's at. Quote, I would say that those are all good questions and questions need answering. So hopefully those are new layers of the onion we can peel back. Um, so yeah, I, 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 it sounds like season two is going to be a lot of Sauron. A lot, like if, if we're, if they're saying the season one is like, who is Galadriel? Why is she so driven? What's her story? Where did she come from? Season two is going to be, who is Sauron? Why is he this way? Where did he come from? And I think I think season two is going to be a lot of Sauron. They're going to let Charlie Vickers kind of run crazy with this character in the second season. All for it. I want to see the history with him and Adar, and I want to see more interactions with them now in the present of where the show is in season two. Um, it's just frustrating to me just a little bit because it does sound like they have an awesome plan. Did they not have this plan before they shot season one with just the amount of money invested by Amazon? I'm, I'm surprised that they weren't able to shoot more than just didn't shoot more than just the first season at once. COVID outstanding. Yeah, I wonder if COVID had something to do with it. It did. Because if COVID had something. Sure yes. COVID. OK. For the first season, COVID for the first they, they shot two episodes and then they had to stop production because of COVID. And for the first two episodes, Charlie Vickers had no idea that his character was Sauron. He had like an idea. He didn't know until they came back and started filming again. Um, 
So I know that it, it affected the first season, and I'm sure that it's probably affected the start of the second season. And then with it being – with all the money that they put in it for CG and prosthetics and things like that and with the set designs and, I mean, there's leaked pictures now that they're building sets as we speak. Um, I It's it's a laborious, laborious production, guys. Do you think that they're going to be filming season two and three at once now that they're getting things back up and going? Or do you think they're just going to continue to tackle this one season at a time? One season at a time. One season at a time. They might start filming season three while season two is airing this time. They're still writing season two now. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, so I, I think it's just it's it's one season at a time. We're going to do this right. We're going to do it one season at a time. So, so it, it, that's it, what I thought. I, th- I thought they were still writing season two. They are. They are. They're filming and they're writing. So is this going to be like <laughs> kind of in that cadence of like maybe more akin to like a Westworld where we see it every 18 months or so as opposed to once every calendar year? Probably. Yeah, especially with as much CGI as in this and and how good the CGI looks. I mean, they need to give the artist time to do that but, because looking at like the Marvel Disney Plus stuff, you can see what the effect of rushing VFX artists is. And there's a backup. Like the, the, like Amazon, Amazon Prime Studios is like they've gone full John Hammond, Jurassic Park, spared no expenses. Like uh, – Jennifer Salky, who is uh, the studio boss over there, she said, we were always going to spend what we needed to spend to get it right. I'm fortunate to be working at this company where we want to be financially disciplined, but nobody wanted to compromise on what this would be visually. Um, and we want to keep the bar just as high so it'll take what it takes, but there's been some urgency around moving quickly. Um, she also says season two is fundamentally different. And that our main villain is out and about doing his thing. I think in some ways it's going to it's going to be grittier, more intense, maybe a little scarier. There are things that we save that we're going to that are going to be in the final bit of season one that we thought, oh, just it's too big right now to do to fit that in with everything else. And let's save it. And we're actually doing some of those things now in season two. And I don't know if you guys have been to the one ring dot net and read the article. It's titled new leaked picks and details for season two of rings of power. But these are, it's it, this article just came out. Yeah. It just came out yesterday and they've got picks of the sets being built right now. Like these are massive guys. Like these are massive sets that they're building. This is like Star Wars level, kind of like, you know, we're filming in Abu Dhabi and building like practical sets. Like, you know, this they said that one of the battles is going to be two episodes long. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, shit. That's awesome. Yeah. This it, it's it's quite an undertaking. So, I mean, when they're when they're saying that, you know, their guess is we're not going to see season two until fall of 2024. I can see that happening, uh, sadly, you know, two years out. They, they Yeah, they said, um, it was in an uh, interview, uh, McKay says, the aim of season two is to be bigger and better on every level by an order of magnitude. 
Um, and it goes on to say it will take a couple of years to complete season two, which means an estimated release of fall 2024. Ah, damn. And they, they, yeah, this is where Lindsay Weber says, she says, uh, these first few days are kind of a luxury for us because we're just beginning and the guys are still writing, you know, polishing the script for season two. So yeah, it, I mean, they're still, you know, reworking that script and writing that script as they've started production. Nice. Well, at least they don't have to wait for them to get the, the script fully finished and they're kind of doing them both at the same time. Yeah. I mean, they may not have the dialogue all done, but they know like major locations and major set pieces. They have enough information to start heavy pre-production and some principal mm-hmm. filming. They know we need the battle here. We need a Mordor set. We need some co- more Casa do et cetera. You know, so sure. Big sign. I'm just selfishly just mad because I have enjoyed the hell out of this show and I've really enjoyed <laughs> being able to have these conversations and just selfishly want them to be sooner that we're having them again. Well, we'll have two years of news that we can report on, you know, yep. in the in, in the interim. So for sure. Yeah. I mean, surely we can check back, you know, when there's big news drops, big more set photos, more. I, I'm sure they're going to cast some new people in the second season. Oh, yeah. We already know of one of the castings. And yeah, so don't don't unsubscribe from the feed. We'll, we'll you know, if big news comes out, we will have episodes and we'll get back together. We'll get the fellowship back together and we'll and we'll <laughs> uh, we'll talk about it. They, they do have. Um, oh, where's that quote about? Yeah, produce. It was uh, yeah. Uh, McKay confirms the deadline that season two will feature additional canon characters. We actually talked about this on a previous episode, including uh, is it Serdan the shipwright? Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Who's mm-hmm. supposed to carry one of the three Elven rings of power? Uh, he said we felt it was very important that season one be about reintroducing Middle Earth in this new era introducing all these kingdoms and all these people and all these characters and knowing what was important to them and what they had at stake and hopefully doing so in a way that's, you know, intense and exciting and delightful. But yeah, we, we, we will definitely be getting new characters next season. Um, They say uh, season two will feature additional canon characters. Yep. Additional canon characters, including Sir and the Shipwright. Sweet. And our buddy, the Balrog. (laughs) (laughs) They've already cast him, though. We've already seen. (laughs) Did did you guys think, are we surprised at just how many events were covered in this finale and just how fast it seemed to go in comparison to the slower burn of the earlier episodes? It definitely had good momentum throughout the beginning of the episode. This episode was there to give answers and put some major pieces into place. And like I said, there wasn't really a lot of time for side conversations. I think we, we got all kind of got that feeling at the end of last week that we probably weren't going to see the dwarves again, where it was left was at a very emotional and dramatic point for Doran, you know, both with his father and with, like I said, we kind of make the joke about the Balrog, but obviously Doran's Bane being introduced formally I don't really, like you said, I don't really think there was any more story beats that wouldn't have seemed anticlimactic. So I, I do like that they had a focused. Honestly, the idea of the episode was get the rings, show who Sauron is, maybe get Gandalf the idea. Let's let's get him speaking. And they did that all really well. Like I said, I, I didn't really have any 
complaints about the finale. Do you think it might have been a little bit more effective if they had spread out this, you know, seduction of of Celebrimbor over like a few episodes versus just having it all happen in one? I thought it was effective the way they did it. It didn't it didn't necessarily feel rushed to me. And as far as the pacing goes, I mean, it it started slow, not in a bad way, but I, I think it snowballed into into a fine pace by the end of it. And yeah, I. I didn't need more to see him being corrupted. I, I thought they showed just enough. I, I thought it worked out really well. Calabrimbor and they had this plan of, you know, basically uh, getting uh, uh, Mithril made into uh, basically cover all the elves with this. Like you, can, you don't have the time to do that. And the elves and the dwarves are not going to allow it now. So it's like now he's, he's got to have like this Hail Mary. And that's where Halbrand Sauron gives him the idea of the rings and you can kind of run with it. Right. I don't I don't I th- I think it came down to like desperation at that point with Calabrimbor. We didn't need any more. Yeah, too much would have telegraphed it, and I would not have liked that. And I agree with the desperation. Like, I that works better by not seeing so much buildup. But, but, but also with that desperation, they're given hope now, you know. And so, you know that that's what they're holding on to is this hope that that this is going to work. Yeah, I thought this was a fantastic season of television. I'm really looking forward to rewatching it and. <laughs> be able to get in a few rewatches between now and fall of 2024. Well, yeah. yeah. As a Tolkien fan, I think it was an awesome addition to the library. And that's all I could have asked for from the beginning. There was a lot of fear going into the show, a lot of doubt. I mean, a lot of haters, a lot of that continued. But I mean, in my mind, as somebody who holds the property near and dear, I think this was a welcome addition. Yeah, I was really worried about this series. And, uh, I'm yeah. It's alleviated a lot of my fears. I'm I'm I really have come to appreciate these new characters um, and uh, the actors playing some of the familiar characters. So I'm I'm on board. I can't wait for season two. But yeah, yet. same. I trust these writers. I I trust this production team. I I was someone that was very fear, fearful of what I was going to think of this show, and yeah, I'm definitely all in now. I've always felt like there's a lot of story to be mined in Middle Earth, but yeah, it's it's it, you got to have the right people involved in these projects that are going to put the care into it. And I think that they found those. I think that they got the right people for the job. It's like, and and that's that's comforting to me that it's not just like Disney out there looking for the Feige's and the Felonies, right? So. You know, Amazon put a lot of care into this and 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 so, yeah, going into season two, I'm 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 all in now. So it, every you know, you'll see sometimes where it's like you get something that you love and then they they take it and they just destroy it. And you're just like, why did this get made? Why couldn't they just do this? You know, it's like and this is not on the same level, but like that first Sonic the Hedgehog trailer where we got that mutant looking sonic it's like what are you what are you guys doing crackhead sonic right like what if this would have oh, no. what if this would have just looked so out of like what if we would have saw the the orcs in this and 
and the Harfoots, and they just look so unfamiliar from anything that we'd seen from the Jackson films. You know, it's just something so out of left field. Like, like I like that. Devastating. I like that they, it would have been devastating. I like that they kind of said, you know what? People love this. Let's keep the ball rolling and let's give them more of what they love. And like, I'd say a majority of the people that have watched this have enjoyed it. And you're going to have like people that, you know, that are going to bash it and hate it. But, um, I mean, I feel like they've put a lot of care into this and they, they're really exploring the world in an interesting and fun way. And I mean, yeah, it's definitely been a lot of fun for me every week talking to you guys about, you know, these episodes and, and, uh, speculating on like, you know, who is the stranger? Who is, what's, what's up with Halbrand? Is Halbrand Sauron? And like, um, I kept thinking to myself, like at the beginning when the, the, the three wizards were like, oh, it's Sauron. Billy was like, yep, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Brian was wrong. Oh, that's so funny. And yeah, I, I, that's pretty much all I had in my it, huh? breakdown notes and everything. If you guys had anything else. I don't think so, man. I, very Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Mm. Yeah, I'm just I'm just ready for season two. Give me season two. I mean, I need a little bit of a break, but I don't need a two year break. <laughs> <laughs> for real. <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah. All right. I guess we'll end this season finale episode. But stay subscribed. We will. Uh, I think I, I do think if like big news comes out, we'll come out with um, some um, some additional podcasts, uh, you know, to kind of fill in that gap over the next couple years. D- you know, do you, what do you, how do you think casting is going to go for this for the upcoming season? Do you think that we're going to see a lot more of the kind of like unknown actors that we've seen here. Like a lot of these actors, this is my first time being introduced to them to be quite honest with you. I kind of think so. Yeah, I think so too. I, like I agree. They don't need star power here. Out of it at all. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll probably be back with uh, future episodes about um, casting and any news that comes out. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't know if you guys want to get into leaks or anything like that. If like there's some pictures leaking some things, I guess it all just depends really. But uh, yeah, stay subscribed. And I've had a lot of fun doing this with you guys. Joe, thank you for uh, um, breaking down the episodes in the last, uh, for the last few episodes, you've done a fantastic job. Oh, thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. That's, that's, that is an arduous process, my friend, (laughs) but, but uh, uh, happy to do it. All right. That is it. Um, yeah, we will be back again. Uh, but I, uh, I want to end it with, um, uh, Joe. If people aren't listening to you on this podcast, where can they find you, sir? Yeah, you can also find me on Startcast. That is my podcast I do where I'm just having one on one conversations with people and it's just kind of whatever comes up is what we talk about. And you can also find me on Twitter at the Tubby Ninja. Or if you are into reading uh, fiction, I wrote a post-apocalyptic zombie story called I Become Death that is available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Billy, you also are out there creating some stuff. What's going on? 
Uh, I am the host of a YouTube channel called The Reality Guys. We do everything and anything reality TV. So anything from like the Bachelor series to competition series like Survivor and The Challenge. Um, you can find me on social media, Billy Blinks or The Reality Guys, really anywhere, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, so come check us out. And Jake and myself, I'm sorry, I was muted there. And Jake and myself do a podcast called Pop <laughs> Club. <laughs> I was talking and then I was like, I'm not hearing myself. Um Jake and myself do a podcast called Pop Culture Leftovers. And uh, yeah, this week we're going to be covering uh, the uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie, Black Adam. So, man. Yeah, it was one of the worst kept secret post-credit sequences in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll be talking about Black Adam. But yeah, uh, every week we review TV shows and movies uh, with a heavy focus on Marvel, DC, and Star Wars. So check out Pop Culture Leftovers. But, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be back sooner rather than later. You won't have to wait two years for our next episode. Uh, I can promise you that. But, all right, guys, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, have a great one. Bye. Later. L later, y'all.